Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And Senior Editor Perry Nemiroff. Hello, hello. Today, we'll be talking about the 2021 Oscars. The ceremony was held last night. It was controversial. There's a lot to discuss. And we're going to dive right in because this was a very different show this year. Now, something I want to, before we even get into like how different it was, I think it is important to recognize. No, 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 no. We discussed before. We're going to start with recently watched. We're going to start with what we usually end the podcast with. And we're going to shake things up. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. We got to shake it up. We got, okay, this ain't your, this ain't your grandma's Oscars. <laughs> No, so I think that's important. That, like, so this show was going to be different always because of the COVID of it all. And I think it's important to keep that in mind that this was not just another Oscar broadcast, that this was something where they had to negotiate a, a real problem. So for instance, if you're trying to socially distance everyone or keep them in their little pods and not really sort of uh, make light of a very serious situation. The fact that the pandemic is still ongoing, the fact that over half a million Americans have died, that, you know, and and then, I, gosh, I've, I don't even know the number of people who have died of COVID worldwide. It may not be in the best taste to be like, let's do skits, you know, let's do bits, let's make a light, you know, met, let's keep it lighthearted, you know? And so the question was, is well, how do we still do the Oscars? How do we, uh, do this show while sort of not diminishing the impact of COVID. And for me, and I've, I've said this before in the past, that the, the trick of the Oscars and what makes it such a notoriously difficult broadcast is that you have a room full of people who take themselves very seriously. Like they may still joke, they may still laugh, but for them, this is the this is a night that they dream about. This is like the apex of a career where you could be recognized for your life's work with the highest honor your industry has to give. Like the Oscars matter to the people in the room. The Oscars don't matter at all to the people watching at home. The Oscars are like, entertain me, please entertain me. I like, I, you may like movies, but you might find it also kind of pompous and pretentious and silly that they're all these, you know, rich celebrities who, by the way, they're not all rich celebrities. They're the ones that get featured, but it's not like the dude who did sound mixing is just rolling in dough and can't relate to you. You know, there's this idea that there's this distance between the, the people in the room and the people at home and the people at home kind of want to poke fun at what they're watching. So you, you have to sort of cater to the people in the room and say, this is very important. Or you can be like catering to the people at home and be like, no, this is actually kind of silly and we're going to have fun. But then you offend the people in the room. And this year it felt like the Oscars for the most part, and we'll get to, the, to, to where it shifted, for the most part made a choice. And I'm curious what you guys think. But for me, it feels like they chose to say, we're doing this for the people in the room. We know it's a televised broadcast. We know people are watching at home, but we've also been told this is going to be the lowest rated Oscars ever. No one has seen the movies. No one knows about the movies. People aren't really, we've seen a dramatic drop in all award shows. Now, 
this morning, uh, this afternoon, there it was reported that there was a 58% drop off from last year's Oscars to this year's Oscars, but there's basically also a 58% drop off from last year's Grammys to this year's Grammys from this year's Globes to last year's, Glo you know, there, it's not, it's not unique to the Oscars that there's this drop off, but tonally they said, let's make it for the people in the room. Let's, let's really take it seriously. Let's give people, we're going to do intro, long introductions, long speeches. This is for the people that are here. And if people want to watch great, if not, we're not going to sweat it. Would you guys say that's an accurate sort of assessment of the show that I'm laying out there? Yeah. to Perry first. <laughs> okay. I, I would, I would for the, for the most part until yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> until it wasn't. And we will get to that. Well, to me, it was, and there's always been this, this dichotomy at the Oscars and you see it swing, the pendulum swings with each telecast. And it's, it's kind of what you said, which is like play to the people in the room or play to the people at home. But to me, a lot of it is also play the play to the people who love Oscars or play to the people who don't give a shit about the Oscars and try and bring in new viewers. So that's how you get Jimmy Kimmel and the pizza and like trying to make it fun and like bring in everyone. And like, we're talking about movies that everyone loves. And even if it wasn't nominated, we're going to have all these big show and dance stuff versus kind of the pageantry of like, you know, awards are meaningless, but also it means a lot to these people in the room. So, you know, let's, let's celebrate movies. That's kind of where the clips come in for me of like, you know, celebrating movies and celebrating moments and stuff you love from that year. So that as the show started, I was like, Oh, it's, it's just that it's like, it's, it's playing entirely to the people who love the Oscars who care about the people who were nominated because, you know, it was telling a story with each nominee um, in lieu of clips. They were talking about each person which to me was a little bit of a holdover from one of my favorite uh, Oscars ideas of ever since I've watched it, which was the year that they had five people present each of the acting uh, nominees. And so each, each presenter was a previous Oscar winner and they looked directly at the person who was nominated and talked about their work, talked about, you know, their performance and whatever it was nominated and how special it was. And that was pretty fun to me as someone who likes the Oscars. Um, so that's where I felt it was swing towards, but then I think it went a little bit to the extreme of playing into the room where it was like, don't even look at the camera. This is a movie. <laughs> like, you know, we're going to shoot it cinematically. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to play with the cinematography of it. No one's going to be framed up in the middle of the frame. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it went a little to the extreme because, cause then it was like, okay, people, the people who watch the Oscars every year like the Oscars and they like the Oscars for a reason, but now you're like changing it into something that's very different. That's not even really the Oscars anymore. It's like a movie about an award show. Um, and I think the whole no clip thing backfired a bit because sometimes you get really interesting speeches or, you know, kind of fun introductions like Stephen Young talking about Terminator 2. Other times you get, you know, someone just talking and you're like, I don't really care about what you have to say, man. So like, they're not all gold. It was trying to manifest all of those best Oscars moments that you have mm -hmm. where a speech really moves you. And that's exemplified by Thomas Venterberg's speech, I think, which was hugely emotional and, and um, really personal. It was about the personal reason he made this film. But then you get people who just kind of like rattle off a list of names or even someone like Pete Doctor was like, yeah, it's okay. Like, you know. <laughs> Pete Doctor's I thought was pretty bad. If like, I get that like, you're not allowed to bring up your co-director because those them's yeah. the rules, but I don't think he mentioned Kemp Powers. He did. He, he did. He thanked Kemp Powers. Yeah. Okay. Was, I missed uh, that because that seemed 
It did, it did feel tone deaf in terms of like, you know, jazz and black man. And here are two white. We listen to a lot of jazz <laughs> being my white producer. Yeah. You could That's tell though that they, they, they knew. Yeah. yeah, like yeah it yeah. felt to me like they were forced to yeah. go up there in that moment. There was nothing they could do about it. Yeah. I would, say, I would say for the first third of the ceremony, it was exactly what I've been asking for, for months now, which is, we knew the ratings were going to be rock bottom. I am part of the group that loves the Oscars and counts down to this night every single year. And all I wanted was a three hour ceremony that was just celebrating cinema and craft and achievements. And I loved the fact that people were being played off at the end of their speeches, whether they yeah, were yeah. rattling off a list of names that were important to them or giving a really, you know, moving more, you know, narrative heavy, I guess, speech that I was, I was really caught up in. And then I would say the same thing about the presenters too. Like in particular, I, I loved when Laura Dern was presenting, mm -hmm. but then around, I would say the middle, the middle of the show, probably, uh, you know, the second third of it, that, that's where you got the uh, the Halle Berrys and the Harrison Fords. It, it was like there were some presenters that were really well suited to that style and then others that weren't. And when they weren't, that's when the idea, I think, probably stopped working, not just for folks who wanted a big spectacle, but also for the Oscar lovers as well, because it, it didn't have that that honesty, that sincerity, that love of cinema, it felt like a few of them were reading off prompters and having a very hard time doing it in the process. I mean, I can't even believe the amount of name mispronunciations we heard. Yeah. What was it, Eric? Measures? Oh. It, it's oh. supposed to be Messerschmitt, but it, it was twice it was mispronounced. Um, well, and also at that point, it, start, it starts to feel a little rote. Like you're like, oh, so we're really not doing clips this year. And right. like you really feel as you're watching the show, you need something to break it up, um, which is yeah. where maybe the best original song performances could have come in to like freshen up the show a little bit. But their choice was the butt. <laughs> that was their we'll, freshen up the show. We'll get to the and we will get to that. I mean, the thing about this is that, you know, I would I could honestly understand the argument of being like, don't bother to televise it. Like, don't televise it. Like, honestly, if they had been like, we're not going to televise it this year. I, I mean, ABC would never go for that because they paid for it. But the idea how, that- How long have they paid for it for? How many more too years? Long. <laughs> it, it's like an absurd amount of time. Yeah, it? like until like 2030 or something. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. But no, like the idea, like they should just be like, we're not going to televise. This is for the people in the room. No one's going to watch. No one cares about the movies. This is going to be intimate. And like, you know, we'll do a closed feed for like family members and things like that. Like, and it'll be- basically like a big sort of like it'll be a it'll be a private party essentially and i think that would have been interesting for its cash but the ultimately what they decided to do was go be like this is for the people in the room but they stripped it and it's such a weird choice because you have soderbergh as one of the producers they released and like we want to make it like a movie but like they made it like a movie that stripped it of all its pageantry like it's like Soderbergh did make it a movie, but he didn't understand the right movie to make almost. He was like, it's just going to be like people talking and how much they love the job and the thing. It's like, you're in a visual medium, my dude. And you're not giving us any clips. Like it's one thing to be like, we have these costume designers talk about their process. And I'm like, that's great. 
maybe show the costumes <laughs> while you're doing that like why the emma costumes are different than the ma rainey costumes like what you know if you're going to highlight the work rather than just words it's weird it's almost like this was like a written oscars like it was just like a, it was just so much reams and reams of just speeches and intros without any um sort of flavor to it and in a weird way that still kind of worked for me because i'm like they're making a choice and it's a choice that's going to alienate a lot of people but they know the audience they're they're catering to it's the people in the room it's for them they've sort of cut their losses where they can you know i i appreciate the choice and then the butt <laughs> is where they lost the courage of their convictions. And that's the, that to me is sort of the turning point of the, of the show, because it makes no sense. If, if that's the kind of show you wanted to make, then make that kind of show, you know, have bits, have do this thing, but like, it doesn't, either you're being like, this is a very somber telecast where we're not going to make much light because we're in the middle of a crisis and people have died. Then you don't get to do the butt. You know, you save, you, you save it for next year, uh, you know, or something like that. And then to, to do that. And then the show just kind of started falling apart very quickly from that point. And it made no sense. It felt, it felt like they didn't trust their stuff. And yeah, I can just, you can just sort of point to that moment of being like, yeah, it's fun. It'll get people talking, but that's not the show that you were making. It felt like a note from ABC being like you have to have a viral moment mm -hmm. you can do whatever you want you can do it entirely scripted you can cut out the clips but you have to have a viral moment and so that was their contrived because it's it's it has since come out that the the butt thing was scripted uh sure. you know, Glenn close knew that she was going to be called on she knew that that song was going to play um the dance was not scripted <laughs> and it was amusing like i you know i laughed i i thought andrew day was andrew day's response was funny but also not in keeping with what the spirit of it was because again the spirit of the show was bring your love of movies that was the motto of it are mm -hmm. uh, you know honoring the craft and the oscars and the importance and she's like oscars don't give a fuck about anything <laughs> just like full on just like yes uh, you know oscars don't they never nominate the right things and they suck and it's like all right on to daniel kaluuya <laughs> well that's the thing you can't have it both ways like if you're going to just go this hard and again, if you want to walk the tightrope, walk the tightrope. But they didn't do that. They didn't want to walk the tightrope. They just said, we're going to make it for this. And then you do this schizophrenic turn to let's do trivia and the butt. And it's like, if you had to have this thing, which by the way, could have been dropped in anywhere in the show, just get it out of the way, especially in the first, you know, release it in the first hour when you're going to have the highest viewership, not... 30 minutes before the end. You can't have just one moment like that. Right. I actually, I don't think that Lil Rel would be a half bad host in general. No. Huh? I, no, I, I like his vibe. I think he connected with, with the guests as well as he possibly could have. And I think maybe if you had chosen to pepper maybe three little skits with him throughout, like with him interacting mm -hmm. with the audience in a playful manner, Maybe the butt wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb like it did in the end. But when you have something like that happen where there was nothing like that in 
the two hours that preceded it, that's not going to work. And also it came at the weirdest possible point of the show. There Mm -hmm. were three major categories left. I was busy watching the response on Twitter and everyone was just busy, busy saying things like, uh oh, like an unexpected time filler. Like did something go like they thought that they were just improvising because something something had gone uh, off behind the scenes. And to, to know that that was, you know, scripted and strategically placed there is is a head scratcher to me. They had already given out best director at that point, which is just insane to me. <laughs> like and I do like I appreciate and I wrote the, so I wrote a piece about this. And, and the thing that I like about Soderbergh as a filmmaker is that he tries a bunch of things and he fails a lot, but he never gets down by the failure. He says, that didn't work. I'm going to try something else. And he keeps pushing forward. And, you know, some of those failures, like Logan Lucky with the uh, unique release strategy, that movie's still good. I stand by that movie. Some of the movies aren't very good. You know, he tried something, it didn't work. He moves on. Sometimes he makes great movies. Uh, you're playing with live ammo when it comes to the Oscars. <laughs> These are real people. So you can't, I mean, I appreciate the the desire to take those kind of leaps and risks, but I'm talking specifically about the, the changing the order of the show and putting best actor at the end, because that is a very specific gamble that you think that Chadwick Boseman is going to win, even though you know that Anthony Hopkins just won the BAFTA. And there was already chatter that Anthony Hopkins could upset Chadwick Boseman. You were choosing to say, well, it's not a sure thing, but we're going to hang our hat on this. Like we're going to go yeah. for it. It's basically like, it's basically trying to construct a sports narrative out of a real game. Yeah. You know, when you're writing a sports movie, the underdogs always win, always win. And you can make sure if you want them to lose, they'll lose. It's however you write it. But the producers don't, the only people who know who won are the accountants. Yeah. They're the only ones. They wrote the envelopes. They hand out the envelopes. The envelopes are sealed. That's it. Producers don't know. And to it's a big mistake to follow that, that line of thinking. And I feel like you know, part of the reason that you end your show on Best Picture is not only is it the biggest award, um, but also it's the one where someone will be there to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> there are usually at least three producers to a film one of them will be there to accept the award on behalf of the entire production. Anthony Hopkins wasn't there. And that's not Anthony Hopkins fault. He doesn't, it's not on, it's not his job to be there. He's an 83 year old man who didn't feel like traveling during a pandemic, especially when he didn't think he was going to win. He doesn't read, he's not out here reading Oscar blogs. He already has an (laughs) Oscar and you know, his legacy is secure and he just wants to live his life. And so, you know, this notion that they have to, uh, you know, why wasn't he there? Well, you should have maybe thought maybe he's not going to be here. The notion that, oh, Bozeman's got it in the bag. That was a big risk that the, they, 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 they didn't mitigate in any way that they're like, if, even if he doesn't win, we have a good closer and they didn't think it through. And they also didn't really think about like, well, who do we have here presenting? Cause usually it's best actor goes presents to the best actresses and best actress presents to the best actors. And I'm sure Renee Zellweger could have done a reasonable job (laughs) opening that up. But they're like, no, let's trust Joaquin Phoenix. (laughs) And that was a mistake. The cut from Frances McDormand, who always gives 
like kind of out there speeches and is unpredictable and wonderful for it. But the cut from her to Joaquin, I was like, oh no. <laughs> this how is do gonna you, be how do you not have a contingency plan? Like first the first level of it is that I don't understand them taking that risk whatsoever. Yeah. It, it is a gamble that they shouldn't as producers have even have been allowed to take. Like someone should have said when the idea came up, this could be disastrous and disrespectful. Let's just push that idea off the table entirely. But even if you wanna take it a step further and really start thinking it through, how many red flags do you need to know that you need a backup plan? Like, did nobody yeah. in that room ever say, well, what if Chadwick doesn't win? Apparently no one did. And that's why we got the ending that we did. And I, I was seeing some people on Twitter being like, well, if they had had a host, they could have mitigated it and sort of, you know, made it flow better. And I'm not saying they're wrong. What they're wrong about is that the Oscars will never have a host again unless the show dramatically changes or they just get someone who is not only eager for it, but like they pay a ridiculous amount of money and give them a lot of leeway because it's the worst. The rock. They will get yeah. the rock next year. That mm -hmm. is my prediction. That is my prediction they're... as well, that they will give <laughs> Johnson whatever he wants to host because they yeah. need his star power. They need his affability. And they know that basically the media will kind of take it easy on him. And it'll um, be like, movies are back and we've got the biggest star in the world. Come right. and watch the Oscar. Pretty much. <laughs> exactly that. It, this is so much more than a situation that needed mitigating though. Like it right. wasn't even just about smoothing out the ending. What they, what they did was hugely disrespectful to the industry and to the individuals involved on many, many levels. On, on the one hand, by repositioning the categories, you give Chadwick Boseman's family the impression that he has won, that this was structured for a particular reason. Then on top of that, you take away from the fact that Francis McDormand and Anthony Hopkins won because you created these expectations that then weren't met. So now they can't really enjoy their wins to the fullest. And then on top of that, and this is, this is what I brought up on FYC, and this really, really bothers me the more I think about it, is I love the fact that the Oscars end with the award that celebrates the company, because we have famous names and faces in our faces nonstop. We know all of the best acting category nominees. They're the most famous out there, the highest paid. We're constantly applauding them, putting them on pedestals. Best Picture gives you the opportunity to maybe not see a PA up on stage, but at least see a large group of people that remind you that it's not just on one person's shoulders to make a movie and make it well. It is a team effort and it requires all of these people. So in the end, what we got is a Best Picture win for Nomadland that didn't feel like the celebration that it deserved. And then, oh, let's just end it by putting the focus on the stars like the industry always does. It did not sit well with me at all. I, I am in complete agreement with, with you on that. And I feel like, you know, it's not Nomadland's fault that no one saw Nomadland. It was a, pa it was a pandemic. Fox Searchlight released it. They did their best with the situation they were dealt. It's not a reflection of the film itself or its quality. And 
frankly, it's a bad look for the Academy to basically be like, here is the first woman of color to win best director. She's also going to win for best picture because she's one of the producers on the film. This is a movie about the marginalized. This is a movie about um, how hard life can be in America, especially after a very hard year for a lot of Americans. And they just didn't want to engage with that. They didn't want to understand the movie itself. It was just a name on a placard. And they just felt that they could shift it around as such. And I feel like that's kind of disrespectful to Zhao and to everyone who not, I mean, everyone who worked in the film, but also to Zhao, especially if you want to talk about people of color. Now you can argue, well, we thought that, you know, Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman would win. But if that's your argument, there was way more evidence that Chloe Zhao and Nomadland would win. So why, again, did you push it up in the ceremony, uh, especially director? Director came very early in the night and came in the first hour. And it didn't, like, there was just no pomp and circumstance to it. And that's the other thing is that if you're going to have a night where you congratulate yourself, which is what the Oscars have always been, lean into it, enjoy it. And this, you know, it's one thing to be like, I'm going to give a big intro to why this, you know, this is means this profession means a lot to me and this win means a lot to me. But there was nothing holistically about, you know, for for a ceremony that they the producers touted as joyous, there wasn't a lot of joy. And that's okay. It's not a joyous time right now. But at the same time, I, there were very few moments that made me feel joy for the winners. And that's the thing. I think, you know, this morning after, we're talking more about a botched ceremony than the joy of the winners. Well, and I think that's partly where, I mean, God help you if you had not seen most of these movies, which is true of a lot of people. I, uh, you know, my wife was texting one of her best friends who we always watch the Oscars together every year. And she was like, I don't even know if I'm going to watch it this year. I haven't seen any of the nominees. Part of me was like, you can stream some of them right now. And you could have done that before. Um, but like, but, do people, that's the thing. Do people like want to like, they're, they're not, they're not fun movies. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. And here's okay. why I miss the movie clips is because mm -hmm. that is, you know, the Oscars can also serve as a trailer to get you to watch these movies. Sure. So if you're seeing these clips from these films, you're like, oh, I didn't know what that was about. And that's why I say, God help you if you haven't seen these movies, because it's just people talking about Minari and Ma Rainey. And they're like, I don't know what that is. Uh, you have not shown me. I they, don't even know what it looks like. Yeah. I don't know what the, I don't know what time period any of these things are in. And for that reason too, it felt like, you know, again, I liked that they were honoring the individual artisans but it felt like there was very little honoring of the movies themselves True. and that's why i kind of like you know the years that they do you know so if they if they were going to get rid of the the song performances they had extra time i like that they gave extra time to the speeches although i don't think that worked entirely but give extra time to present each best picture nominee not just like you know a three sentence intro and a trailer but like really talk about like what are this movie's themes what is it about and why was it award like why is it here why are we talking about it what is special about it do that for each one of the best also, picture nominees and just to interject i mean and talk about saving time not only did they move all the songs out of the the broadcast and put them into the pre-show we're we have one fewer categories this year yeah because best sound was merged sound editing and sound mixing were merged into one category so now there are only 23 categories mm -hmm. there was time to they, they made choices essentially they made choices and they did to your point adam they didn't seem to highlight the films 
Yeah, it was a because you could be like, you know, oh, Eric Messerschmidt, you know, that's neat. That was his first movie he ever shot as a cinematographer. Um, but like, maybe show me the cinematography, <laughs> like show me what Mank looks like a little mm-hmm. bit or or like talk about because, you know, for the most part, the best picture nominees trickle down to the other categories. You know, sometimes you'll get films that get one or two nominations in other categories and no best picture nomination. But largely, those Best Picture nominees are going to be throughout the entire night. So use that as a way to talk about why these movies are special. I still have not seen The Father. This is the first time in like 10 years that there's been a Best Picture nominee I haven't seen. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of it. I enjoyed that one clip I got of Anthony Hopkins' performance. But uh, I don't know. It, no, it, I, I, it sound like a basic person wanting no, more movie I think, clips. But no, it, they made a point that basically we're going to honor the people. And yet, oddly, that came at the expense of the movies those people worked on. Yeah. And so for me, I mean, I've seen all the movies that like of the the big movies that were nominated. And so I was like, I don't need to see clips. I've seen the movies. But, you know, there are people that there are a lot of people that haven't. And at some point, are you if you're saying this is a celebration of movies, you you cut out the movies themselves. You forgot Mm -hmm. about the movies. And it's great to be like this costume designer thinks about what this character does with this wardrobe when they're not wearing it or something. And that's, that's an interesting tidbit, but show me the costume, you know, show me what. It felt, it felt like an advertisement again this year, but not necessarily for the movies that are being honored. It was, it, it was almost like, and again, I, I liked it when certain people did it, but at other times it felt like a desperate plea to remember why you love the movies and make sure you come back. And I, I kind of respect that approach to it. It's like when we're talking about, you know, taking chances and trying new things, that might not have panned out perfectly, but that is a, a for, forgivable swing and semi-miss to me, whereas certain other ones right. weren't. And it, it didn't even feel to me as much as like coming come back to the movies. Like they didn't feel like we were there yet. It felt more like let's, like let's appreciate all the artisans like yay artisans like that it's forget about the movies we're not going to talk about specific movies but like look at this like one of our gene herschel humanitarian awards is for like old people who worked on the movies and now they all live together which by the way would make as my wife pointed out would be a great movie just (laughs) like just a story about old old movie people living together but a good example a good example will be what steven young said about t2 yeah it's like in that moment, him delivering that speech, I bet you anything, a lot of people out there did what I did. When he thinks about seeing that movie, I think about my first time seeing Jurassic Park and it makes me want to go back to the theater. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to go back to the theater for myself and to be able to re-experience things like that. And it makes me want to you know, continue the tradition and take my niece so she could have that story to tell about me later on. Th- things like that. And I think someone like Stephen Young delivered it very well. Yeah, why not have each of the presenters talk about a previous winner in that category that means a lot to them? Mm-hmm. And I know yeah. that maybe pulls the focus a bit off like Ma Rainey, but you talk about you know groundbreaking costume design and Ma Rainey was groundbreaking in and of itself because it's the first women of color who ever were nominated and then won in that category. Um, but it just felt like it, it would have been a little bit more personal if you are gonna do the talkie Oscars um yeah at least it no no i agree it feels like they almost took the the conventional wisdom it's like no one cares about these movies no one's seen these movies and then said you're right (laughs) and worked (laughs) from there i just feel like that kind of 
you know, it gave, again, it gave them a direction. It gave them a purpose, you know, it, it, this, again, there was a point of view on this Oscar ceremony up until the last 30 minutes. And then they kind of, you know, but I, I, I think, you know, the more I think about it and, and, and talking with you guys, it doesn't feel like it, the love of movies came forward. It didn't get you excited about movies. And again, if that's not your their goal of the show, so be it. If it's the goal of the show is just to have Hollywood people feeling good about their profession and their coworkers, that is not the worst thing ever, but it makes for not the greatest broadcast. ABC is in so much trouble with this. Like, I can't I can't believe how long they have this show for I think it's only a matter of time before it's like I know everyone's saying oh they sold all their commercial spots so they're making enough money but I don't think that's gonna last very long I feel like this year you know you can I feel like this year you would have been able to brush off the problem with the ratings had that been the only problem but yeah, then yeah. given how mm-hmm extreme the botching of the ending was i think the combination of those two things is going to be impossible to fix and to go back on and i basically think that this year wound up being you know not necessarily the first but the first firm step towards not having a traditionally broadcast ceremony for the oscars anymore i just I think it's inevitable and I was holding on to, you know, a tiny sliver of hope that they would figure something out eventually or turn it around and make it playable enough. But after this year, like I'm kind of resigned to the fact that we are not going to have the Oscars broadcast on ABC this way for years and years to come. Like, I don't think they're going to make it through the end of that deal i just checked by the way the contract was extended in 2016 in 2016 they extended the contract through 2028 (laughs) (laughs) i if i were the academy i would want to revisit the terms of that contract i am so curious to know what that ceremony looks like in 2028 like I, I don't know the fine print of something like that, but it feels inevitable to me that most of these award shows are going to wind wind up. Joe you know, Rogan hosts the Oscars. It, it even feels <laughs> it even feels almost dated to me to say these award ceremonies are going to be streaming things later on because mm-hmm. with the rise of social media and the fact that you could watch something else while getting the winners on your Twitter feed feels like something that needs to be considered a little more heavily. I feel like they're heading down the path of some sort of hybrid format that looks nothing like we get what what we get right now. I don't know. I still feel like Hollywood makes so much money on award season anyway. Like they're not going to let them just like scrap the pageantry of the Oscars entirely. I do think it'll change, but I don't know. To me, it probably is going to go in the opposite direction. They're going to get, I can't remember the names of the producers. They produce like Chicago but they produced the Oscars like three or four times in a row. And those were the ones that were all big and blown out and really like spectacle driven. I feel like they're going to try some kind of last ditch effort to be like, all right, that was like the strip down. We're going to go way to the other side. Yeah, We're going to bring back the best popular Oscar category <laughs> to <laughs> put it on TV. Yikes. No, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely feel like, I mean, it would not surprise me at all if in 2022, it's like Dwayne Johnson hosts and an ode to the Fast and Furious movies. Like yeah, basically like, like how that. can we make it more like the MTV movie awards? Like how yeah. can we make it more populist, um, bigger, more spectacular, 
we tried doing it to where we only appeal to the people in the room and everyone hated it and the, the ratings were garbage. So now we're going to go in the opposite direction. They didn't, they didn't have to make people feel that way. It's so, <laughs> it's so frustrating because you're right, but it's very frustrating to hear that kind of assessment because I think the, I actually think it was shockingly easy for them to make it work this year. They had an excuse to play it that way mm -hmm. rather than go big crazy spectacle and throw money at crazy things and just make a you know an endless ceremony by putting in all the musical numbers and everything they they had an excuse to make it intimate and to celebrate film and they were doing it for an hour i would say for about an hour they were fairly successful at it and then they just made very silly, risky decisions that didn't that didn't pay off. But they had the opportunity to get that semi right or right enough to suggest that, you know, there is more of a happy medium next year than the pendulum like uh, shifting to the complete opposite side and them doing a Fast and Furious show. I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying that's going to happen, but I mean, and then again, if I'm being completely honest, I would tune in for that and be very excited for it. Well, in looking at the ratings, there was an uptick in 2019. And if you look at the nominees that year, it was like Black Panther and A Star is Born. If there are big movies, it, it was the 2019. Oh, oh 2019. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if, if there are big movies that are good that people saw, that will get more people to watch the Oscars. And I think there, there's definitely that opportunity this year. You know, studios have an overwhelming number of films they're trying to offload, but you've got something like In the Heights. You've got Steven Spielberg's got a new movie. Wes Anderson's going to have a new movie. Like there's going to be stuff that people will be excited to go out and see that may then be nominated um, that I think could cause an uptick. But I do think the Globes were good. I think the Globes are going away. So good. like, I don't know what exactly it looks like next year, but given what has been going on in that organization since this year's ceremony, since the expose, but also the continued just embarrassment and the number of filmmakers who are now coming out and being like, all right, I'm going to spill the tea. Here's my dirty, you know, Golden Globe secret. Now I don't have to pretend and play the game anymore. And I could just say, screw you. Well, and also that the PR companies are just abandoning the Globes. That there's yeah. no reason, like, it's the, the publicists are the ones who are like, well, I will get my client to the Globes because that's part of playing the game. And if those PR companies are like, yeah, we're not, this brand has become toxic. Like we can talk about like how the Oscars, like this show is not as successful as we hoped it would be. Yada, yada, yada. The Oscars are still prestigious. I mean, it's still an award yeah. that people want. It's a thing that people want to be, be involved with. The problem is, is that no one knows quite how to crack it. And it's hard to say how to crack it in a year, in a pandemic year. Like it'd be one thing if this, if everything had been normal and then the ratings were down 58%, then you have a real conversation about like, holy crap, things have really gone off the rails. But I think again, to, to sort of bring it full circle, when you consider the COVID of it all, it's sort of like in a weird way, I think the Academy, just as much as they could freak out about this year. And I do think that they will sort of try to swing the pendulum back the other way. They could just as easily be like, you know what? We're not going to panic. We're not going to freak out. This was, uh, this was always going to be an outlier year. We're going to write it off and we're going to go back to something more traditional, you know, in 2022. We will have a half hour commercial for the Academy Museum that is definitely opening. <laughs> I would love to go to the Academy Museum. I would too. I just think it's this running joke where it's been under construction for like a decade. And like we'll never finish. And they're sinking all this money. It'll never it. be finished. Like fashion is never finished. <laughs> Yeah, Perry, what do you think about the Globes? 
I just envision the HFPA just like hanging on for dear life. I do think that they're in <laughs> yeah. very they're in very big trouble, but I foresee the gold the Golden Globes carrying on until it's like the last little like sliver yeah. of what the Golden Globes were. And then I think it's more away. so in that sense, they might outlast the it's like I feel like the Academy would do that more drastic shifting of gears that I was suggesting before they completely butchered the entire format beyond recognition. Whereas I feel like the HFPA will just hold on to every little shred that they possibly can until it's something that's like maybe like 1% of what the event used to be. And they're still trying to broadcast it. I think it's more likely taco truck. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I guess I don't think they're going to go away entirely, but I do think it's more likely a lot of people will just choose not per- to participate. They won't show up and it'll be like hosted by like Kevin Sorbo or something. Well, then they're like, going to can... have to go away. That's yeah, that's their call well, yeah. part is but the fact point, that it's like the big celebrity schmooze see, fest. Where I, everyone I, just gets drunk and has fun. See, my feeling is, is that what happens with the globe is that they're going to be replaced is that what's going to happen is, is that the globes will be like fi- fighting for relevance, but they won't be able to get any talent Therefore, they won't be able to get any broadcast and all the talent will move to like the BFCAs. Like, well, I'm is, fine with that. I know you're fine <laughs> with that as a member. But no, I mean, the Critics' Choice Awards, kind of the same thing. It's a big, like, correct me if I'm wrong. It's a big party. It's a casual atmosphere. People have fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but you're giving out awards. I mean, am I am I on the right track here? I guess the event... It, it is very weird to compare me assessing another organization's ceremony. Yeah, but the HFPA is a real award. organization, it's, so you can... Also, <laughs> like, I get, I get really, really probably overly disheartened when I hit this time of year when they start to release those anonymous Oscar ballots. Yeah. Because it, like, I don't, I don't want to get, you know, blow this too far out of proportion because, yes, it's just, it's movie awards, but it really hurts my heart how many people admit to not having seen, I'm not even talking about a nominee here or there, but folks will admit to have only seen the front runner in a particular category. And if I'm ever in a situation where I haven't seen all of the nominees in a particular category, I will abstain from that because it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Like my vote doesn't feel I, valid anymore and yet we have oscar uh where we have academy of members who anonymously will admit to not having seen a significant well that's the thing they're portion. just a, i mean that that asshole always emerges every single year i mean it's There's just a, a reliable lot of assholes like maybe i just spent too much time reading these things but like there I was just, not one that made me feel better well, they're all, but they're all saying it anonymously. Like they're all, you know, just cowards who are just like, I'm going to tell you what, how it is, but also please don't put my name on this. But, but going back to the BFCA in, in that respect, I know like, because I'm friendly with a lot of people in the group now, I know a lot of people who take the voting process as seriously as mm-hmm. I do. So when those winners are announced and it's, it's something that I'm a part of and it's an organization that is filled with a lot of people who take that ability to vote as seriously as I do, then those awards mean something serious to me. But as far as the broadcast goes, a big part of the reason that I, I like, you know, in the past watching and now attending is the fact that like, it does feel like a room that's just like, 
oozing with love of cinema and the people in the room. It's like, I know everybody laughs at everyone running around and taking selfies and things like that, but you know, having the opportunity to walk up to a filmmaker at another table and be like, you know, your movie made my year. It was my favorite movie. Like, I love that opportunity to be able to just like, like word vomit my affection for someone's creation. And that's, that's what that night gives me. And I, I'm very, very grateful for it. When it comes to predicting the Oscars, I always remind myself, like, Rob Lowe has an Oscar ballot. What is Rob Lowe doing? So like this is, and this is a not a insignificant- just an Oscar statue <laughs> on it. But like, this is a not insignificant number of Academy members. They're busy. They haven't seen a lot of the movies. This is why My Octopus Teacher wins Best Documentary Feature. It's like, I saw that one on Netflix. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, haven't seen any of these, but I that title sounds funny. Sure. Or like, let me just look up what's the front runner. Yeah, that's fine. And that's not all of them. I mean, clearly, you know, there are people who take it seriously. But as a body of a bunch of working professionals, you know, between the ages of 18 and like 90, you're going to get a lot of varying degrees of who takes what seriously. And that's why some of these categories are easy to predict because you're like, oh, yeah, they always go for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because especially when you get down to documentary feature or the shorts or whatever, they're either abstaining and just leaving it to the professionals or they're, you know, they follow a trend because it's not based on quantity quality anymore. It's, right. Because they haven't seen it. On, yeah. They haven't seen it. They're like, I, I, I heard people talking about this. Yeah. So I'll check that one. So that's always like my reality check of like if when I start to try and second guess, but then, it, you know, it doesn't work out too well. But it's why the moniker of most, not best, always, all, almost always works. Because if it's most cinematography, most editing although the editing category is a i do not know how to predict that anymore because it's like you can you can go bohemian rhapsody or hacksaw ridge or ford versus ford versus ferrari uh you know it used to be that that category followed best picture pretty closely but i don't know that's my long rambling way of saying it is disheartening but it is also you know sometimes the way to prognosticating well, and that's the thing. I feel like, you know, you can you can make the argument that like the Oscars is a canonization of films, but I think like it's really more of a snapshot. It yeah. really is like it's a it's a moment in time from a very from a particular set of voters. And, you know, the branding may say best, but we know it's not. I mean, you, you know, I can there we know that there are Oscar movies that do not stand the test of time. And some of them don't stand the test of time for very long at all, while there are movies that never get nominated and are beloved for decades. Yeah. So the notion that the Oscars are the end-all be-all, I mean, we let's, let's be realistic. I do think that the Oscars are important in terms of elevating certain films and putting them on people's radar and certain, same with certain artists. And I think it matters in that regard. But I also don't, in terms of a canon effect, I think that's a bit spurious. I do think more people will check out The Father now or or even Nomadland. Um, you yeah. know, that and that's always been my argument for the Oscars is they get people to watch things, but it helps when you show clips of the movies. It does. It does help when I you had a couple sell of non non-bubble people text me this morning and ask where they could watch Nomadland. Yeah. Yeah. Hulu. So, that made me feel better this morning. <laughs> yeah. But as you say, you know, I I agree. I think it's a snapshot because the King's Speech won Best Director and Best Picture, but we're still talking about the social network. You know, it just two years that, ago, that being Green said, Book won Best Picture and solved said, racism forever. Sometimes they nail it. 
And I think we, you know, every year when I go to the artist fest and we all, <laughs> me and my fellow, the artist fans get together and we don't talk. That's not a rule at the artist fest. You don't talk. We all really feel like this film is, is saying something about America. But then sometimes magic happens. I mean, watching Bong Joon-ho just run the table last year was yes, absolutely it was great. joyous. It was gleeful. And that also actually felt like someone like Rob Lowe finally saw Parasite because everyone wouldn't stop talking about it. You know, like mm -hmm. it felt like one of those that it won so many categories that like clearly the voters went out and saw it because people wouldn't stop talking about how good it was. So when you have a film that is that good, that is getting that much buzz, sometimes it can break through and, and really hit big with the academy agreed all right well it should be interesting in 2022 <laughs> let's see what I well i did want to not to bury the point how how did you guys feel about the winners of the there Oscars? were winners oh <laughs> um, i felt pretty good in that i got my most of my ballot right i mean up until the end how many did you end up getting 19 out of 23 you son of a bitch I made some last minute changes about stuff that I was like, eh, I'm feeling more this way. Like, I, I don't know. I took a, like, I think I took a flyer on um, like best original screenplay and um, things like that. But, you know, not, not a bad year for me. I mean, 19 out of 23, but I, I don't know. Winners wise, I was thrilled that Nomadland won. I was, you know, there was very, and honestly, I mean, I felt of the eight, best picture nominees there wasn't a horrible film in the bunch there no. wasn't like a film that's like this film is bad or this film was mediocre and it's getting so much praise that now i think it's bad <laughs> you know which inevitably happens because i'm a tool um but <laughs> honestly the film that i thought was the weakest of the best picture nominees was trial the chicago seven and it won nothing so i you know i feel like i don't know i was pretty as far as winners of the night went yeah, yeah i'd like to see wolf walkers win over soul but i'm not gonna like be mad online that soul won yeah i was pretty satisfied for the most part and I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the categories, I was always okay with the idea of, you know, if not all four out of the five winning, it's like, I would have been happy yeah. with anybody who won best actor. I just didn't want to see Gary Oldman win it. Cause I didn't really <laughs> like Mank all that much. And I think Perry he, said, fuck Mank. And David Fincher said, not on my watch. You know, it, I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel that extreme against Mank, but in most of the categories that it was nominated in, and I had to pinpoint one that I would have liked to have seen bumped out so someone else could get in, that was often the one that I would pick. I actually am kind of happy that it won cinematography, even though Nomadland was my number one movie of the year, but that is where I wanted to see it win. In, in general, though, I was okay with all the winners. Even when you want to look at Anthony Hopkins, yeah, if I were in the Academy and I was a voting member, I would have voted for Chadwick Boseman. I genuinely believe he gave the best performance of the year and he is phenomenal in that movie. But I also think that Anthony Hopkins is absolutely incredible in The Father. So I can't really complain about yeah. the winners. I'm just complaining about the way that they were announced. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not really mad online about any of the choices. I just, you know, I, there are times where I felt it could have been a little better, but- Except for my it, octopus teacher. Are you guys mad about that? I think, you know, I hear, I think My Octopus Teacher is actually a pretty lovely film. So I think it's, I. A, it's a great nature documentary in terms of, you know, wanting to 
you know, I think it's beautifully shot and really like, you know, talks about the way we connect with nature. It just pales in comparison to time and, uh, you know, collective, so. And Boy State, which wasn't even nominated, which was mm. bullshit. Or, and Dick Johnson is Dead wasn't even nominated, so. That kind I mean, of was a mess sometimes. Yeah, that doc- documentary branch is a fucking mess. Um, <laughs> all right, with that, with that, uh, let's move on to Recently Watched. Uh, Perry, what have you seen lately? I don't know if I brought this up to you guys yet, but I was a little late to the Ted Lasso game. Uh, Am I allowed to talk about TV? You're allowed to talk about everybody you want. I talk about TV too often. I'm I'm full-blown obsessed with Ted Lasso, and I was about to be, you know, a stubborn jerk about it, where we had gone through so much of award season, and I wasn't a part of the Ted Lasso hype, so couldn't enjoy every time it won an award, that I was almost like, ooh, well, now I'm going to sulk about it and not watch it because I'm not part of the group. But no, eventually I was encouraged to watch it, and I burned through that season, and it deserved every win that it got. And it was it was just the right thing to watch now. That is the kind of attitude I need in my life. And I, like, I truly can't even tell you the amount of time since I finished season one that I'm in a pissy mood or I'm negative about something. And I'm not, like, I'm not saying this is a joke, but I legit stopped dead in my tracks and think, what is the positive spin that Ted Lasso would put on it? And it genuinely makes me feel better. And watching a character in a show like that genuinely makes me feel like I want to be even more supportive for the people around me. So a show like that existing is only a good thing. Agreed. Brilliant. Have you seen, have you watched Mythic Quest yet? That's next on my list because now that I'm rah-rah Apple TV Plus, I was told to watch Mythic Mythic Quest and uh, For All Mankind. I haven't seen For All Mankind yet, but Mythic Quest is incredible. I think it's really great. Like it. Yeah. All right. That's, ne- also, that's next on my list. It's also just way too relatable for <laughs> us and our jobs right now. <laughs> and our jobs having been working in media through, you know, this entire time, but it, like you that make kind me of even more excited. Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very like, oh, that hits a little close to home. All right. So yes, Ted Lasso. Check that out if you haven't seen it, folks. Uh, Adam, what have you seen lately? Uh, I'll talk about a movie that I caught up on a couple of weeks ago, uh, but is related to the Oscars, which is Wolfwalkers, which is the best animated film of 2020. Um, No disrespect to Soul, which I thought was fine. (laughs) And then Matt and Drew yelled at me about it. (laughs) And then we yelled at you a bit. (laughs) yeah, I, I, you know, keeping on the theme of Apple TV Plus, this is on Apple TV Plus. Uh, it was not made for Apple TV Plus. I think it was acquired at TIFF or something like that. Um, but it's a it, it's made by Irish filmmakers and it's it's like a folklore story. It's set in, I think, the 1600s in Ireland and follows this young girl whose dad, played by Sean Bean, uh, is a hunter and they go to this town and they're tasked with killing wolves getting rid of the wolves because the wolves are evil. Um, The girl goes out in the forest and she encounters uh, something called a wolf walker, which is a young girl who, uh, and I, you know, before I watched the movie, I thought it was about werewolves, but it's not really about werewolves, but I guess it's kind of about werewolves. Um, She's a wolf walker. (laughs) She's part, kind of part wolf, kind of part human. Um, And she's in a specific predicament. And it's really this lovely story about uh, prejudice and, um, kind of otherness and judging people for something without getting to know them first. And it's also just gorgeously animated. Um, 
I felt really hard for it. I thought it was a really beautiful film and, and you could take a lot away from it. Um, it. It just, it felt like it was packed. It had a lot to say, but it said it all in a really elegant and, and pretty way um, and felt unique. Like it felt like the kind of movie that I'm not entirely sure Disney would make this, this specific kind of movie. Although I, I don't know, I guess I shouldn't say that. Soul is about like, what is the meaning of life? So, you know, um, but yeah, if you have Apple TV plus, I would highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, it's a great film. Um, I was a little reluctant to watch it because I I wasn't crazy about the filmmaker's previous movie, The Secret of Kells, but uh, I thought Wolf Walkers was tremendous. So yeah, definitely check that out. I I got a, a Wolf Walkers thing in the mail. It was little pieces of paper that had seeds in them. And it marks the first time that I actually planted something and it grew. Like they're they legit look like like little weeds. It's not like an actual tree grew or anything. But now I'll, I'll forever connect uh, wolf walkers to the first time I actually tried to, you know, like make a plant. Is that, is that gonna... what people with green thumbs say? I make a plant. <laughs> yes. You were going to tell me that Dewey <laughs> ate them and then you guys had to go to the vet or something. Oh my God, no. <laughs> No, the the only the only uh, mailer things that Dewey keeps are the boxes. That makes sense. That does make sense. <laughs> um, for my recently watched uh, this weekend, I finally checked out Deep Cover, uh, Bill Duke's 1992 film starring Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, the last time it was actually the last time he went by Larry Fishburne in a movie, but it stars Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum. Um, and it seems to have a kind of a basic premise where it's like Lawrence Fishburne is a cop. He has to go undercover to bust a drug ring in Los Angeles. And what makes the film really pop, and I think, and part of what's given it its enduring appeal, is that it is a sort of excoriating uh, look at the war on drugs. And in 2021, we can all be like, oh yeah, the war on drugs is a huge failure and why would anyone support it? But in 1992, it's a different story to say that in a, in, you know, in a feature film. And that's exactly what Bill Duke does. He basically points out all of its failings through the lens of this um, undercover cop who discovers he's better at being a criminal than he is at being a cop. And the incentives in place to uh, take down drug dealers and sort of the personal cost. And what's remarkable about the film is it really does thread a fascinating um, walk. It walks really, I'm going to change metaphors. It walks a really interesting tightrope between sort of condemning the war on drugs while also pointing out that drugs are damaging. It doesn't try to negate or, or downplay the damage of drugs, but it, it makes the case that the, the way to fight the war on drugs that we were fighting it is completely wrongheaded. And uh, it has great performances from Fishburne and, and Goldblum and really sort of delving into, you know, the racial aspects of it. And it's a really strong film. I was glad I see it. It's beautifully shot. It's kind of drenched in neon. Um, it's a really good film. It'll be coming to the Criterion Collection in June, I believe. So I, I strongly recommend checking out Deep Cover. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Perry, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at P. Nemeroff. And Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you later this week with a special guest. Uh, I won't say who yet because I'm always sort of wary of, of things falling through, but I'm very excited to talk to this person and I think it'll be a great episode. So stay tuned for that. Thank you.